Most of you know that I work for uh, YFC Canada, Youth for Christ Canada, and uh, my job is a communications and project manager. I love my job with YFC Canada. Uh, One of the great parts of my job with YFC Canada is I get to work with Tim Coles. Thank you. Because Tim is not here this morning, but he's speaking next week, and he'll be listening to this. Okay, good. Yeah, make some noise. for There you go. Okay. Now... All right. Uh, one of the things that Tim, uh, one of the things that Tim is really uh, into is marketing and understanding uh, how uh, how how things are marketed and how customer service is done. And he's really good at that sort of thing. And Tim talks a lot about managing expectations. And I thought it would be helpful this morning if we just make sure that we're managing expectations. Okay. So I could tell you, for example, that I intend to be fairly brief this morning. Now that, you know, may excite you or (laughs) I may screw it up entirely and you guys are going to really not like that. Um, You also have to remember when you're managing expectations that you're dealing with a visually impaired speaker. That means I have really enormous notes that I'm trying to follow, which can be very challenging for me. But it also means that I can't really see you as well as I want to, to be able to engage you. So I appreciate when you give some sort of feedback. So you guys did a really good job at laughing at what I thought was funny. And I invite you to continue to do that. Uh, and the thing is, is if, if you just nod, I, I, I don't really get it. So, so if I say something that you think is really good, you say, yeah, I think that's great. Thank you. Or, you know, feel free just, just to, to make yourself known. If I really am boring you, then make loud snoring noises. Okay? I, you know, you're welcome to do that. I, I'm, might as well be honest, right? So, so, so anyway, uh, okay, so as, as, uh, as I mentioned, I, I am a communications and project manager, and it's interesting because uh, I love clear and concise communication. Love clear and concise, okay? Just, it, 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 it's, it brings joy to me. And as part of YFC Canada, uh, recently we were on a staff retreat where we got to work on our uh, individual job descriptions. We talked about the way that we serve and lead our national organization as a national staff team. And, and what I got at the end of the process, which took some time because it's not easy to make a one-sentence job description, was that I serve and lead by creating effective communications that inspire, inform, and increase capacity for frontline ministry. And I'm excited about that. And I love the fact that that's a clear and concise statement that tells me exactly what it is that I'm about. It's a wonderful process to go through. You know what? If you have the opportunity at some point to kind of do something like that for your own life, it's a wonderful thing. Now, again, managing expectations, I want you to know that most of the communicating that I do is in writing. And I've worked in radio. Now, I've already told you that I'm a communications professional to some extent. So I want to manage expectations for you this morning because I do written communications, not all verbal, and I get to edit stuff. And when I was thinking about this stuff, the reason I'm telling you all this is because this actually highlighted for me something that drives me absolutely nuts about the book of Romans. And I'm being honest with you. I find Romans to be a little bit frustrating sometimes just for the reason that Paul is dealing with a lot of complex material and oftentimes he's very wordy in the way he deals with it. And I'm sometimes thinking, why don't you just say it in one sentence? Just, just, just 
put it out there really plain. And, and Paul will meander through some thoughts where he kind of drops it a little bit and then he picks it up again farther. And he's really good at picking his thoughts back up again. But in between, sometimes he goes off onto this whole other little tangent and uh, his syntax is all, you know, messed up sometimes. And, and I'm just being honest that it frustrates me a little bit. So I have to work harder to understand the book of Romans. But you know, that isn't necessarily a bad thing. Because it actually reminded me of something we were talking about at our small group on Thursday night. Uh, In the course of our study, the parable of the sower came up. You guys remember that one from Matthew, what is it, 13? The parable of the sower where uh, Jesus talks about the man scattering seed and, and the different types of soil that the seed falls on. And after he had talked about that, his disciples came to him and said, so what's with the parables? Because he had a great crowd of people listening to him. And, he's, and, and Jesus, if I can sort of paraphrase, essentially Jesus says, you know, this, uh, I'm teach, I teach in parables so, you know, that people who really want to hear the truth will dig into it. That's essentially what it comes down to. It was almost like a filtering mechanism for Jesus with the crowds of people who were listening to his teaching. He wanted to get to the people who were serious. So the people who weren't serious, they heard a nice story and they went home. The people who were serious asked him, what's up with that? What's all that about? And he filled them in and gave them answers. And I I, I think that that's just uh, an example of how sometimes doing the harder work for us in in, in filtering through something like the book of Romans is such a valuable process for us. So are you guys ready to dig in to chapter 5, verses 12 to 21? I can count on Greg. See, Greg gets it. All right. So... This passage begins with the word, therefore, okay? And therefore is a really simple statement. It means sort of because of what I just said a minute ago or because of what I was saying, here's the therefore. Now, if you remember Brent's message from last week, uh, from verses 1 to 11, when uh, he talks about the certainty of our hope in Christ Jesus. So in light of that certainty, Paul says, therefore, And then he goes on to this next thought. And um, if we follow through uh, verses 5, 12 to 21, uh, when we first read them, we might actually be uh, uh, drawn to think about something that we refer to as the doctrine of original sin. And let me tell you now, we're treading into deep water. When we start talking about the doctrine of original sin. Brent came to me this morning and said, yeah, I was just reading the verses this morning. I'm sorry. (laughs) Thanks for giving me the light subjects, Brent. Really appreciate that one. (laughs) Excellent. It is. You're keeping score. I love it. So, um, it wouldn't be hard for us to do an entire sermon on the subject of original sin. But that's not where I want us to go this morning. And it's not because this is not valuable. This is incredibly important and significant theological water that it's, uh, it's something that, you know, we, 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 to some extent, should delve into. But the reason I want to put it aside this morning is I wanted to do something just maybe I, I felt was a little bit more practical. And not to, again, totally dismiss the subject. It's just that I think that if we were to condense it all, if we went through the process, we boiled it all down to its essence, I think ultimately most of us here would actually end up coming to the same conclusion. 
Okay, so regardless of how we get there and we go through the different uh, thought processes of sin's entry into the world, it leads us ultimately to the same conclusion. And this is my thesis, so if you can't come this far with me, well, you may as well start making snoring noises. But the thing is, we have a problem with sin. Can we all agree on that? Right? We have a problem with sin. That is ultimately the conclusion that we will come to as we filter through all of the stuff that, that is said here about the entry of sin into the world. And not only do we have a problem with sin in the sense that day to day we struggle and it causes issues and it gives us relational difficulties and it messes our lives up in every other possible way. The other problem we have with sin is that it leads to death. Sin leads to physical death, and it leads to spiritual death. So we have a very significant problem with sin. I think that it isn't hard for us to go there because we see it all around us. In, in our day-to-day lives, the stuff we see on the news. I, I like to think of it in terms of what the uh, framers of the American Constitution said. We hold these truths to be self-evident, right? Right? and that all men are created equal, they go on and talk about all these things, that they see these truths as being self-evident. Well, I think the truth of sin is self-evident, right? Probably doesn't require a lot more explanation. We know it deep in our hearts. And you know, not only that, but Paul also goes on in this passage to also point out that the law magnifies it, right? The law is like taking a magnifying glass and looking at it in, in all of its gory, messy, cruddy detail. Now, there is one important thing that I do want to talk about when it comes to this subject of sin and Adam, because I feel like it's uh, the proverbial 800-pound gorilla that enters the room when you have uh, this type of topic. And if you haven't dealt with this personally, uh, you probably have been in conversations or you know somebody who may struggle with this. So, the best thing you can do with an 800-pound gorilla is invite him into the room. And you just want to, you just want to deal with him, okay? So uh, if we look at Adam's sin and the consequences, and if those consequences include the entire human race, they involve everybody, all of us, um, the reality that some people are going to conclude is that this just doesn't seem very fair, does it? Anybody with me on that? See, some of you have been on your faith journey a, a long while, and you're thinking, no, I, I, I kind of understand this, but, but if you were just to look at it at the surface level, it doesn't really seem fair. We should acknowledge that. That uh, the fact that we're all being impacted by Adam's sin. And... Um, as we're dealing with that 800-pound gorilla, there are some things that we can acknowledge that help us to understand. If you're in this conversation with somebody who's troubled by this, if you're wrestling with it yourself, one of the first things you need to remember uh, or be aware of is that when we're looking at the original text, the, 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 the word that's used for Adam actually uh, could also be used to imply a broader man or humanity. And... Uh, in some cases, scholars have a little difficulty determining exactly where the word should be interpreted Adam and where it should be interpreted as humanity. And there's this broader 
uh, potential way of understanding that. Also, we need to think about the audience, right? The writer and the audience of this original letter of Romans. And something you need to keep in mind about Paul and his audience originally is that they had a more corporate understanding of the world, right? They weren't North Americans. You guys got to remember, we got issues, right, in North America, and we, we have this, this really developed sense of individualism, right? That actually didn't, didn't exist or wasn't the same in Paul's day. So as the original audience read this, they weren't thinking in those you know, rugged individual terms that we do here in North America. And uh, in addition to both of those things, uh, it's also important that we don't interpret these things in a vacuum. I mean, we just look back to where we've been already in the book of Romans from chapters uh, 1 to 3. And uh, when you think about those chapters, time and time again, right, Paul is stressing the point that all men, without exception, are guilty sinners, right? Because each of us, and this falls on us individually, we are all guilty of unbelief, and we are all guilty of disobedience. And if you remember back to some of the sermons that we went through in Romans chapters 1 to 3, it was like week after week we were getting this message from Paul. We may have even felt a little hammered by it. But the fact was, Paul was setting the stage and saying, look, we are all guilty sinners. You know, and the best excuse often that we get to come up with on that is, well, I'm better than that guy. <laughs> right? You know, that, that's, you know, that's all we get sometimes is a comparison to somebody else. Well, I'm better than him. At least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. But one thing is clear from the scriptures. God doesn't grade on a curve. So God is not looking at us in comparison to anybody else. And while we're on the subject of comparisons, uh, as we go through these verses, uh, Paul is comparing Adam to Christ, some similarities and differences, right? And he uses this statement, just as, and then it goes on to something like, just as Adam sinned, right, brought sin into the world, so also. So it starts with just as and so also. It's like this logical progression that you'd say, just as Adam brought sin into the world, so also Christ is the cure. And he goes through this series of statements. And it's like this simple statement. Of, it would be like me talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I would say to you, just as, thank you. <laughs> I really hope the microphone picked that up, just so everybody else who's listening. You'll probably appreciate this. Just as the Toronto Maple Leafs disappointed their fans this year, so also they will disappoint their fans next year. <laughs> just as... So also, right? Just as Adam, so also Christ, okay, is the cure. He goes through this, and, uh, <laughs> and, and he continues to make these comparisons. And uh, while we're talking about leaves, by the way, does anybody know how maple syrup is made? Sort of. So what happens? They collect all the sap in the buckets, right? And then you do what? You boil it down. Remember that? You heard that term before? We want to boil it down to its essence, Right? We take all this sap and we boil it down. We reduce it down to something really good. Okay, well, I just want to boil this whole comparison down, okay, into two thoughts. 
for us as we boil down the comparison between Adam and Christ, okay? The first one is this, okay? And we've already talked about it. The fact is that sin has entered the world. That's it. If we boil it all down to its essence, that's the one conclusion. Sin has entered the world. If we boil it down, we got that one. The other thing we get left with is that Christ is the only cure. That's the maple syrup right there. Christ is the only cure. Okay? So I just want to unpack that just a tiny little bit because there is something else important. There's actually another gorilla in the room. When we, yeah, there he is again, right? He shows up. And some people have read, <laughs> I'm glad you like that. Some people have read, um, and in particular verses 18 to 19, and they have come to this conclusion that if the curse of sin is automatically applied to everyone because of Adam's action, then Paul is also saying that the work of Jesus Christ automatically applies to everyone. And if you just look at those verses in there isolated without the context, if you look at them, can you see how that could happen? The many? Everyone? It's, it's a possible pitfall for us to fall into. And we need to be really careful with this one. Because the truth is, the consequences here, folks, are life and death. So, one of the things I want us to be honest about is that there's part of us, I'm speaking for myself, and I think that we all might have an element, there's part of us that would like it to be true. Really? That if Christ's death was for everyone and it was done, right? That, that there was no more to do because it was universal, that'd be kind of nice. Because we all know some really terrific people. We work with them. They're our friends and neighbors. We meet them when we're at our kids' sporting events. And they're good folks. And boy, it sure would be nice to think that they're all covered, wouldn't it? I think it would be nice. The problem is that Scripture doesn't actually support that. We also have another issue. We live in a culture where it is becoming increasingly challenging for us to assert that Christ is the only way. It is not easy, and it is not popular. So, the idea of some universalism becomes a little more appealing, doesn't it? Because it doesn't put us out there on the edge grading against our culture anymore. I have some friends who, who believe, that it's tr- believe that to be true. They believe that there's a universalism at work. Um, sometimes I find the thought appealing. But again, as I read the Bible, I cannot escape the conclusion that it is not true. Um, if you look, for example, at the previous verse in Romans, we're talking, we were talking about 18 and 19. Just look at verse 17. 
Does anybody note an important distinction that Paul makes in verse 17? That's right. Paul says, for all who receive it. Right? And Paul is talking about a gift, right? He uses the word gift in these verses. The free gift. And then he says, for all who receive it. If you think about presents, if you want to give somebody something, right? They have to receive it. They, they have to take it. They have to receive it. And that is a very important distinction when it comes to the gift of salvation. That it's something that we have to receive. And this really brings it down to the heart of the whole thing. We are now at the heart of the matter. Because all that you need to inherit the curse of sin is to be born. That's all that has to happen. Once you're born, sin is in play. But what you need in order to experience the certainty of hope that Paul was talking about in verses 1 to 11 is to receive God's gift of salvation. doesn't get any simpler than that, does it? I was trying to think of some practical way in which I could wrap this all up for you as, with, with something that we take with us. And uh, there's only two things that really I, I could think of. And I, I want us to really, you know, just to really think about it this morning because you're going to fall into one of two camps this morning. Either you have received it or you haven't. Now, if you've received it, the most natural question has to be, so now what? What do I do now? What do I do about it now that I've received it? If we were to believe in universalism, then there would be no, well, we don't have to do anything. But that isn't true. What do we do? You know, Jesus told us what we needed to do when he commissioned us in Matthew 18, right? Matthew 25, I think. It's the great commission. What did Jesus say? Anybody know? The great commission. That's right. Don't need to whisper that. Go, right? A couple weeks ago when Tim Coles, I'm mentioning him again because he's listening. Tim... Tim said, he, Tim paraphrases the Great Commission with the word go because Jesus said go. That's all. Go into the world and make disciples. It's pretty simple. I mean, it's hard, <laughs> but it's not complicated. It's not like we have to have a degree to figure that one out. And, you know, Tim also talked about living in proximity. Well, you know, the fact is we all live in proximity. We all have those friends and neighbors and people we go to school with and people that we're involved in sports teams with and people that we can go to. So do we take this seriously enough that we are willing to go to them and love them enough to share this good news, this gift, this gospel message to be light in the darkness? That's the question. And only you can answer it. The other people here this morning, if 
in a group this size? I have to assume there may be somebody here this morning who hasn't received it. Or maybe you're a little uncertain. Maybe you're not quite sure. Well, that is a matter that we'd love to have a conversation with you about. So if you're in that side of things, if, if you're not sure, if you've got questions, you know what? Come and speak to somebody here. Uh, I would love to chat with you. Enjoy having a coffee with you and discussing it. Brent would love to, or Ben, or, or Arnie, or Richard, or Brian as the elders. We'd love to talk to you a little bit more about what it means to really receive the gospel so that we can be certain of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Worship team.